friends. I'm glad you're with us. If you're with us online today or you're with us in the room, this is great. We've got a lot of people here today. I'm excited to see that. Let's keep it going. Come on back. And then we have to add another service. So I'm looking forward to that, adding the 11 o'clock service. And for those of you, yeah, some of you want to sleep in too. I get it. I get it. Uh, those of you who are with us online, we're glad um, that you're joining us. And I really just want to say thank you for the opportunity to come into your space as well. I understand what a humbling invitation that is, where we can still work hard at connecting and being in community. And again, when you're ready, we're ready to have you back here. We're working hard on trying to create some spaces that are safe, that are comfortable uh, for you to re-engage into physical community with others throughout this season, what we're in right now. So we have been having a conversation, uh, or have called it a series, called Embracing the New, right? (laughs) And the new is what a lot of us are experiencing. New is what a lot of us experience throughout life. Uh, Whether we wanted new or we didn't want new, there are times that we are forced to or really need to figure out how to engage into embracing what is new. And... There's all of these beautiful things we see throughout scripture about how to embrace in with new things and um, how people connect with God and understanding the new things that he's doing and this ethos uh, throughout scripture. Some of that stuff, it points to like different prophecies or prophetic art or ways in which um, stories are told or items point to God and who he is in the new things he's doing. And so as people are re-engaging in this season and we're experiencing new things that are just a little different and adjusting and figuring out where we stand, where our place is in that, we want to have a conversation about that. And some of that stuff kind of doing to do with the things that we look around and see or feel or experience. And so uh, in this conversation so far last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, we kind of talked about this idea of Uh, seeing things, understanding what new things are taking place. Last week, we talked about a fountain that we have out in our uh, lobby and rivers of living water and that Jesus is doing new things in and with us. And so what water represents and the life that it represents and um, getting rid of stagnant things and pushing that through. And then uh, this week, we're going to be talking about a stump. Those of you who have been in our space, you see a stump that's out there. And I think this represents for a lot of us uh, this feeling of a stump where maybe we've been uprooted, right? And things have just kind of been shifted and they're changing. Or maybe we feel literally cut off and we're wondering, like, what new thing comes from this or what growth comes out of this? And uh, a big season of lament and grief and loss or change and everything that that means. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about comfy chairs. Uh, 
We're going to, oh no, sorry, next week we're going to talk about a prayer wall. So we'll go to that one real quick, a prayer wall. We have a prayer wall uh, at our Benicia campus uh, that's going to stay up through the rest of the year where we get to carry one another's burdens. We get to be there for each other in community, whether, uh, whether it's distance or uh, in proximity, like where it's close. But we get to see what's going on in other people's lives and we get to walk by and experience not only put our own things out there where other can come, others can come alongside of us and carry this, but we get to gather other people's uh, burdens or praises and celebrations. So we'll walk through that and how that points to God and who we are created to be. And then we're going to talk about these comfortable chairs that you're in. If you're at the Venetian campus, you're sitting in more comfortable chairs. If you'd been here in the past, we have these hard, black, squeaky, cold chairs and so it's this new thing, coming back and being cozy and comfortable. That's also Mother's Day, and so there's a bit we're going to connect to there, and we're going to do some baby dedications, so that's going to be fun. So if you're a mom or you know someone who is a, a family that has a young child in this last year, they're ready to dedicate their child to the Lord, we would love to participate in that. You can let us know. And then we're going to wrap, uh, go to, let's see, comfy chairs. Then... What's next? I think we're going to then our celebration. Uh, oh no, taste and smell what is good. That one's going to be a fun one. Just warning, you want to be here in person. There might be snacks. Um, where we're going to taste and see that God is good and how that can point uh, to who he is. And then we're going to wrap this whole thing up with something I think is a marker for us in this new life that we're in. We're going to have baptisms. So those of you who are interested in being baptized and taking that step in faith, and then also we're going to just do a whole day where we're just going to worship. So it's a worship-only baptisms, a call to worship, where we get to mark this new thing that we've gone through. But for today, uh, going back to this stump idea, there's a, in Isaiah 11, it's an Old Testament, this is a prophecy, there is this picture that we get of everything that's just been cut away, that's been cut down, and, and there had been thoughts and promises spoken of who God's people were and where they were going to go and what was going to happen. And they got to a point where it literally felt, and there was this image of a stump that had been cut off. And they thought that this was the end. This is the end of the line that this is dead. And, um, you know, what is going to happen is there going to be a Messiah. And Isaiah paints this picture that out of this stump, a new shoot came off, a new growth, which then ultimately led to Jesus Christ in this line here. And so for us, there's this, this idea, this, this newness or this idea that we can embrace something new that we could feel like everything's just been cut off or that we've been uprooted. Um, but God shows us and points that even in the midst of just feeling totally pulled out or cut off, that there is a new thing that God can do in us and is asking us to participate in a new growth, a new shoot off of that where it might not be the same thing or the, the same exact tree that it had been, but it's a new and even a better thing. Perhaps for you, there have been times where you're missing what God is actually doing because you wanted it to fit into your expectations of how things normally go right? Maybe you haven't believed that something new could happen in your life um, because that's just not how it works. You've just pre-decided. That's just not how it works. This new thing isn't going to happen. Or maybe the redemptive movement of God in your life is to actually break your expectations and break down the barriers that have kept you trapped in the way that it works, Right? to be able to see something new and to be a part of a new thing that God is doing. 
I, um, I think if we were going to summarize the gospel, uh, if you were going to talk to someone, how would you summarize the gospel and this new thing that Jesus did in the New Testament, in this new covenant, you could summarize it in these 30 words. It's this, that Jesus is God with us, and he's come with, to be with us to show us God's love, so he shows us God's love. Then he saves us from sin. He set up this new kingdom, God's kingdom, and he's shut down religion. So this is, this is what you can say so we can share in God's life. So the 30 words, we would say, Jesus is God with us, this new thing to come to show us God's love, to save us from sin, to set up God's kingdom and shut down religion so that we can share in God's life. And I can't think of too many more things in the universe that's more interesting than this this shutting down religion, whether you're a believer or not, or whether you're spiritually seeking or you're curious or not, this is a fascinating conversation that the one time in all of religious history, in all of religious history, where the centerpiece of religion, the leader of this major world religion says it's time to shut my own religion down. That's fascinating to me. Now, we've said that in different parts of the gospel over time we have these conversations, they meet our different fundamental needs as human, the needs that we have. For example, that God is with us, right? Jesus is with us equals security. This is what we want to know. We want to know if someone's with us and have that security that we would feel from that. Um, to show us God's love. This would be esteem. This gives us the esteem that we're loved, Saving us from sin. This is the acceptance that the stuff that I've done isn't too much, that there's a, a grace that's going on that I'm accepted in, in God's kingdom. And also setting up God's kingdom. This setting up God, God's kingdom gives us this sense of purpose or a place and we get to participate and see and a peace because that security that comes with that and having a purpose. And then this fascinating part Shutting down religion where it's like this stump, that's, you know, this tree that's been cut off. This shutting down religion is actually this self-actualization. Some of you are going, what is self-actualization? Well, it's a psychology term. There's Maslow, uh, a well-known psychologist, he created this pyramid that's, in most of, that's about most of our basic human needs. And at the peak of this pyramid, it appears in most psychology textbooks, is actually self-actualization. So self-actualization, uh, he said, is ultimately what we're striving for, but what is self-actualization? You already have this up here. <laughs> In a sense, it's becoming who we're really made to be. So self-actualization is the drive within every human being to become all that we are made to be, to transform, love that word again, transform all potential positive qualities into actual, not potential, into actual positive qualities. So self-actualization is actually the opposite of self-potential. It's actualized. And there's so much about us that when we were made or how to be and that, that, that we were designed to live a specific way that we may or may not achieve in this life or we may underachieve in the way that we are created as an image bearer in the image of God. Some of us have skills to do certain things, um, but you know that long abandoned thing that you say like, 
that you start doing and you just kind of have that raw talent and you feel like it's good and you just kind of figure one day, like, I'll never make anything of that, right? And maybe later in life you get to a certain time where you look back and you look back and you gave up on it and you actually feel like to a degree, man, I wish I had pursued that. Like, I wish I had pursued that because I kind of feel like I gave up on me in some certain areas of life. And what's interesting is that Jesus says that religion doesn't necessarily help you achieve who you are supposed to be. That it actually can hold you back. This idea of religion can actually hold you back from who you were actually created to be. And so he brings this thing called the new covenant, which is the end of the old and a launching into a whole new way of being that helps us um, become actually spiritually self-actualized. And he actually has the audacity to teach this. So then later on, after um, Jesus' life, the Apostle Paul follows up, and we're going to look at this passage today, that teaches us that the Old Testament, the laws of God were right for that time. And they helped us grow to a certain point. But if we were to continue to use those, those same laws past their prime, that they would no longer actually be helping us at all. They wouldn't be helping us move forward to where we're supposed to be that new thing, that they would be holding us back from becoming who we are actually meant to be. It's almost like if you needed to have like a back brace or a brace that helped you for a while or a brace for your legs that if you were young and you were having trouble walking that could support you and your muscles could grow, the kind of brace that kept you balanced and gave you strength so you could walk, where it would be wonderful to a certain point But when your legs finally get to the point where they can run like you're supposed to, if you continue to wear the braces, it holds you back from the running that you were now made to do. There's a movie, you know, that kind of explains some of this. Check this out. My mom always told me that miracles happen every day. Some people don't think so, but they do. Run away, Forrest. Run, Forrest! Run away! Hurry! Get the brakes! Hurry up! Let's get it! Come on! Look out, Johnny! Here we come! Get you! Run, Forrest! Run! Run, Forrest! Come back here, you! I told you that I can run like the wind blows. From that day on, if I was going somewhere, I was running.
sure is a wonderful. <laughs> so I think I think the uh, <laughs> you guys are proud of you guys are gonna watch Forrest Gump this week now. So good. <laughs> I think the new covenant is Jesus saying, "Run, Forrest, run." Be who you were made to be, right? This is him shouting this, that what happened or what helped you, these braces for a season, get you to a certain point in time that has now passed, uh, that you need to take off these braces because it's actually holding you back. This is a, a great analogy of self-actualization, that he's actually transferring from this old covenant to this new thing. So we could point it out this way and say that we were made in the image of God to love like God. That's how the story starts, that we were made as image bearers of God. And that the old covenant, it helped us live, but not to love. When you look back at the old covenant, it's this collection of rules and regulations and rituals and routines that's given us, basically it's given us this, this ability to keep us from killing each other and keeping us alive long enough to be ready for grace. But it didn't help us become who we truly are. It was right for a time, but now the new covenant, the new covenant helps us become ourselves, that God breathes into us the ability and the freedom to make choices that are aligned with love because we are made in the image of God, of love. So I want to talk to you about the Apostle Paul and how he works it out in this passage for us. You can turn with me if you have on your app. You can go into our app or if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Galatians. It's in the New Testament, chapter 3. We're going to go... Galatians chapter 3, 22 through the end of that chapter, and then we're going to go a little bit into 4. So verse 22, we'll start there. He talks about how this scripture has locked everything up, um, uh, how he's locked everything up. So he says, but scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This idea that scripture had everything locked up under this control of sin. He says scripture uh, imprisoned us in a sense, but in some sense it was necessary for a time to keep us in different cages in, uh, in a sense, to keep us from killing one another, locked us up. And if we just continue to go back to scripture without the new covenant motif, being our hermeneutic for our exegesis, without it leading us to Jesus... When we're going to continue, then we're going to continue to be in prison in that way. That's actually the opposite of self-actualization. And so he fleshes this out now in verse 23. He says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith that was to come would be revealed. Another way he goes about saying this, the law was specifically like our jailer. So we're imprisoned, uh, and, and it's our jailer. It's, it's holding us in uh, for this specific time. And then he switches metaphors again. Next verse in 24. He said, so the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Our guardian in translations, or some others might say a tutor, this is the word that we find uh, in the Greek for nanny. 
It's someone who within the first century would have functioned as a nanny, but specifically for a male child. That would have been like a caregiver, a teacher. And the Greek word here is pedagogos. This pedagogos that we're going to see in verses, that was here, in, in 24 and in 25. We see this in uh, chapter 3, 24 and 25 that it talks about this twice. Is a slave who is appointed as a guard. Uh, they're appointed as a guard and an educator of a young child, specifically then a male, uh, as a tutor or nanny that would help them to a certain point when they were ready to go and rule or to lead themselves. And so he says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a garden guardian. That we had already served under this and with this pedagogist, this nanny or this tutor that had brought us along. So now in Christ, you are all sons or children of God through faith. You're going to notice here in this passage that once more the apostle tells us that we're under this new covenant that we get to become sons of God. And he says sons here specifically, and sometimes we just open up the passage and we might read this and we like to say like, well, that's a bit sexist. Like we're always just talking about sons and, and men. And so what happens to women? Now, you have to understand that within this context, that this is actually the opposite, that this is radically egalitarian. That he's saying that within the culture, only males at this time, he knew, got educated. That only males would receive an inheritance. That only males could end up making their own choices about what to do life and not just get passed on from father or then to the husband over the woman about all the decisions that were going to be made for them. That only sons received this type of responsibility, not daughters. So when Paul writes to this mixed group of men and women, he says, under this new covenant, you all become sons. That you all get the same rights as sons. He's actually saying something radically freeing in this moment, that men and women, you're all going to have equal rights, equal privileges, equal opportunity within the kingdom of Christ. And now that faith has come, we're no longer under this pedagogist. We're no longer with this tutor or this nanny. It's not uh, what we're under anymore, that that's totally done. So that in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. You are all sons of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. I think this is a beautiful beautiful image of baptism, that we were plunged into the water. It symbolizes this spiritual plunging into Christ, Jesus. It's a beautiful gift that God has given us that we don't have to do this in order for our salvation to get saved, but it's a beautiful privilege, hear this friends, to remind ourselves and others that we are delighting in our salvation, that when we are plunged and this representation of burial and resurrection into this new thing, into this new covenant, into this new thing that Jesus gives us, that we are delighting when we say yes to doing that and showing everyone around us through the act of baptism that we're delighting in our salvation. And if you've not been baptized, I'm going to encourage you not to miss this beautiful gift that God has given us. It's this perfect, beautiful gift that symbolizes this beautiful experience that we're being spiritually plunged into Christ. And those of us who have been baptized into Christ have clothed ourselves with Jesus Christ. So maybe 
you're here today and as you're kind of thinking through that of like, yeah, that's something that I haven't actually walked into and experienced or said like, yes, God, I want to delight. I want to delight in what you've done for me and the grace that you've given me. Um, we're going to do baptisms, I said, in just a couple weeks on May 23rd. And we'd love to do that in here with you. If you want to sign up for baptisms, you can text BAPTISM1 to 94000. So you can do that online or throughout the service. I'll tell you about that a little bit more later. But he's switching this metaphor again, and he's saying, you're wearing Jesus all over. (laughs) You're wearing Jesus all over. You've clothed yourself with Jesus. And it's a thing about clothing, right, is that it covers you, and it covers you close. It's the most intimate thing, really, that you wear all throughout your day, and we bring Jesus close to us that he's saying, hey, look, you're covered in him. This is this new thing. Verse 28, he says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither uh, male or female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. Within that culture, in that context, there was a lot of stratification in society at the time. There was a lot of division on every point that you could divide, certainly through gender, like we just discussed. What we've already been talking about, and you've seen this around the world, certainly through race, whether you're Jew or Gentile, different races couldn't just mix and match, certainly through status or uh, socioeconomic status or three different roles and how they kind of played out. And don't get this confused, friends, just as in this place here, even virtually online right now, as they came together as the church, as they walked through the doors of that house, which is most likely which they were meeting in, they were this church together. And all of those other things melted away. All of the other things about society melted away. It just disappeared. Someone might have been a slave out in the world that would walk in the door and then be fellowshipping with the church. Maybe participating as a deacon where he was an elder or where he's a minister. At the very least, he was a fellow brother or sister where people could come in. And then the spirit was given to women, not just men. They could come in and they just had this beautiful egalitarian community that was showing people a different way of living, a new thing. Just for the sake of time, uh, let's jump to the beginning of chapter four. So he's continuing, he said, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, there is no difference from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father. So also when we're underage, we are in the slavery until the mental, spiritual forces of the world. He then uh, continues on in Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Uh, I don't have it up here for you guys, but I'll read it to you. It says, but when the set time had fully come, so you started out as just, you were an heir, um, you, you still were a, a toddler, a young child. When the time had come for this new thing, when the time had fully come, it says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that they might receive adoption to sonship. I think this is the full picture of what salvation looks like. Salvation is both redemption and adoption into community. It's both freedom to be set free from something and family. 
Salvation is from something, but also to something. We enter into this beautiful uh, brotherly, sisterly relationship after we're freed up. And he says that when we were under the law, we just weren't experiencing the, the full rights and privilege of someone who's actually an image bearer of God. That this was necessary, though, because we were toddlers, right? But when the time came, God changed that. And we're now grown-ups. We're children of God, and we're, we're, we were heirs, uh, and he has made us to be that. But this new covenant brings us to this new time. In other words, when it was just the right time in history, God transitioned us from the old covenant to the new, and the braces came off, and we get to run. Now, you would ask, what makes the time right? I think every answer to every question will raise another question when you're talking about such an infinite topic as this. So Paul answers a lot of questions here, but he also raises new ones. Someone will, might ask, well, if God always wanted us to be followers of Jesus, to be saved through Jesus, then why didn't he just go straight to the Jesus bit? <laughs> why did he wait so long throughout the Old Testament? Well, one of the answers the apostle gives here is developmental answer. He says that because you weren't ready, because we weren't ready, you were like kids who actually needed rules and regulations. You needed the braces. You weren't fully developed. You were meant for more than this always, but you weren't mature enough to be able to handle it. So God gave us the law because we messed up. We were called to do something greater than this even in the garden. One of the very first things that you see with Adam and Eve is that he creates us in his image and his likeness to rule over, to be the ones who represent uh, the image as choice makers, to make decisions, who are in leadership over, to, de to uh, dominion over things. And we are, this is how we were created in the first place, and we're taking care of the place. We're responsible for the planet. We're representing God who is as, as loving others, making loving choices for ourselves and our relationships to one another and our environment. But we messed that up. We went backwards instead of forwards. So on came the braces. On came the braces, came the law. But God waited until we were ready. And some might say, don't you think God was like a little tardy getting around to the new covenant? I mean, look at all of the stuff in the old covenant in the Old Testament that took place. I think that's a fine question, actually, but I'll tell you the question I, I ask. I look over the last uh, years of church history, and I think that God might have been actually a little too early. I don't know how ready we were for the covenant of grace. We started abusing it, like right off of the bat, and it's not about the law, it's about what's been done for you. Now grace has happened, and we live this life of gratitude, and everyone was like, great, I get to do anything I want to do, I get to sin any way I can, really just to prove that there's grace. And then Paul, you see right off the bat, has to write this book of 1 Corinthians, for instance, right off the gate, to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's, like the, uh, it's like the teenager who gets their license, and you know, it's on. <laughs> Back roads, let's go. But what's beautiful is that he never retracts the gospel and says, all right, I guess we better go back to the law. We must embrace the new. And sometimes we got to kind of stagger through that. But the new has an important purpose. He reminds them who they are. He reminds us who we are. He says, that's who you were in 1 Corinthians. 
So you're living like who you were, not who you were made to be. And he helps them self-actualize to actually become the people that they were meant to be. There's a new covenant ethics, this new thing. New covenant ethics is that we're not our own, that God does so much for us that he gives us a new heart. A new covenant ethic is that God gives us a new heart. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us a new spirit. He breathes this thing into us, the spirit into us, and he gives us the example of Jesus, and he gives us the support of the saints. And friends, that's the church. That's the church. And then he says, make loving choices. Self-actualized to be the person that made you be in the image of God, the person who is loved. Start making those choices. He says, I I, I won't make you do it on your own. I'm changing your heart. I want you to to, to be who you're actually supposed to be, who I created you to be. I'll give you a new heart. Those who are, are different, I'm giving you a new spirit internally. And in the church, you, you have Jesus as your example, a mentor, a teacher, the support of the state, saints. But now, friends, make the loving choice. Under the new covenant, you are changed. You are transformed. That was always prophesied in the Old Testament. It was always the prophecy in uh, Jeremiah, which we're going to go through in a couple weeks. We read this, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judea. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. It's not just going to be a new covenant and a new Ten Commandments. It's a a new set of rules. Ezekiel 36 puts it this way. God is speaking through his prophet right here. I will give you a new heart. I will put in you a new spirit. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit in you to move you. He says, I'm going to put my spirit in you to help you. I'm going to recreate you. And my spirit is going to move you, but not force you. It's not going to force you. You have everything working from within you, the creator of the universe, to help you and I. That we get to become the person, friends, that we were made to be. And it's going to revolve loving, revolve around loving like Jesus. Because Jesus shows us what the perfect human is supposed to be. Made in the image of God. Made in the image of love. Jesus put it this way. He said, let anyone who is thirsty, we talked about this last week. Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from them. This is from John 7, 38. This is what we talked about last week. It says, after you come to me and drink, you'll have rivers of living water flowing from within you. Both of these images are true. It's beautiful. First of all, you see this double maneuver here, this double movement. First of all, you get to move towards Jesus. If we're thirsty, he says, you, you get to come to him and we drink. That Jesus is the source of living water. But when he gives us this spirit that's now within us, then we get to go away and we get to have that encounter of spiritual living water that's now bubbling up from within us. That we're changed. And there's something that's inside of me that's guiding me and moving me in a direction of love 
towards other people, to be an agent of love, that I'm a different person, that when I walk in Jesus, that I actually feel more myself, self-actualized. I sense that there's two ways that we could fail to live in the fullness of this as people. One, would it be that we go to Jesus, but we don't actually acknowledge the change that he makes in us. And we treat him like our new version of the old covenant. We say, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Give me the checklist so I can like check the things off or tell me I need to come to church so many times or tell me I need to go and do this serve project or this mission thing or give to this. Just tell me what to do. And we build a religion out of this called the Christian religion, <laughs> which you don't ever find in the Bible, where we just come to our religious leaders and we say, just tell me what to do. Life's confusing. Just tell me what to do. I need rules, I need regulations, I need rituals, I need routines. Tell me what to do. And we keep it external. We don't acknowledge how we have actually been changed, transformed inside. And every time you come to a religious leader and say, hey, tell me what to do, he's usually happy. She's usually happy to comply. And we love setting up systems, right, of salvation. So there's many people who have come to Jesus but are not living out who they truly are. I want you to hear that again. There's many people who have come to Jesus to take a drink of the living water, but they're not living out who they actually are. Where do you land? I think another way that we can fail this is to experience the fullness of this, and then actually we just miss the first step altogether. We just skip it. We've kind of joined this like new age thing that says, just turn inward. Get rid of, you know, this unorganized thing of community. Just turn inward and the truth is in there and you'll find it. You know, meditation, introspection, it's all in there. You have it. And we miss the beauty of truth and the good news of Jesus. And so we think first it starts with Jesus. He remakes us. Then we come a new people, a new way of living. And Jesus said, I'm going to be about love when you're changed. We, we see that Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. I want you to love like Jesus. A new commandment, not just love God and love other people, but love as I have loved other people. This new thing, this is a huge love upgrade. <laughs> He's guiding us into this new self-actualization, becoming ourselves. And when we talk about love, we're talking about this, friends, the choice to value someone in two things, in attitude and in action. We can be pretty good about this one. We can be pretty poor about this one. We choose to value another human, another person, in attitude the way that we think, the way that we speak, our intentions, our conscience, and in action to actually do something about this. Love is a choice to value someone in attitude and action. It's a choice, not just a feeling. It's a value. It's, it's someone, not just something. It's relational. It's personal. It's a personal concept. I knew that, uh, I, I know that uh, love meant action, but sometimes I actually fail to remember that that also means an attitude of esteem for another person, of value. Uh, Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, I could do a lot of very loving things. I could even self-sacrifice for the good of someone. And if I have not love, I am nothing. 
There's a, a kind of action. It's just a, another religious legalism I have to do, good deeds, right? That's an action we do. We're just like, oh, I'll do good works, good deeds. But love actually slows us down enough to say, this person is valuable, and I'm going to treat them according to that reality, that this person is valuable. And that actually includes myself. That I'm going to say, this person is valuable, and I'm going to love others as myself. And it starts a lot of times with loving me, self-actualizing who I am created to be. Let me, let me share with you a final thought for the sake of time to wrap up and we can come back real quick to John 7. I think it's what Jesus says here. I think there's, there's more that we can dig into um, in this, just this one passage. He says that anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. So I say, hold on a second. Anyone who is thirsty, I think right here, this reminds us that there may be people out there who are not thirsty. Now, we all know everyone needs like the spiritual living water of Jesus, but some people may just not be aware of their thirst. So they're not thirsty. They don't perceive themselves as thirsty. And this is the same as Jesus saying this for him. He says, those who have ears hear. When he teaches us, he says, I'm not talking to everyone right now. I'm talking to those who are actually listening right now. So he says, this is for those who are thirsty. So I'll ask you as I wrap this up, is anyone thirsty? <laughs> ask yourself, are you thirsty? Are you ready to hear what Jesus is calling us into, this new thing that we need to embrace? Can I suggest a few things that will keep us growing to actually self-actualizing as a new covenant calls us to do, I think, these three things. First is this. Know who you are. You are reborn. You are a reborn image of God with a new heart. You, friends, have been made new. Number two. Know whose you are. You are God's dear child, eternally loved. You are an heir, a co-chair with Christ. And number three, to self-actualize in this, practice letting love lead. Practice daily. Practice daily the little things to prepare you for these big things that we experience. When you practice loving people well, friends, you're releasing the lover that's inside of you that you've been made to be, when you practice in a little thing, it actually trains you. This is what we spoke just for a moment about last week. We were really good about trying things, but we lack the endurance or the energy, the will, whatever you want to attach to it, to train things. And how we become self-actualized, what we were made to be, who God created us to be, is actually to train into that, to practice over and over and over again. How can I let love lead in the situation? Some of you have become followers of Jesus and you're filled with the Spirit, but you just ignore it. You just ignore it, and so we don't grow. We don't listen to that thing inside of us that's supposed to be bubbling out of rivers of living water. And some of you say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've experienced this life-changing transformation that you're talking about, but then all of a sudden you just feel chopped up, like life comes at you hard. You feel knocked down or you feel uprooted 
You know, you think about it this way. If you were going to get married to someone and ignore them for the rest of your life, your marriage wouldn't also be radically transformed. It wouldn't be radically transformed. And it wouldn't radically transform your life. When you just go about your business ignoring the spirit, you don't experience the transformation, this thing that changes you from the inside out. And instead, oftentimes, we're not self-actualized because we're allowing the flesh to lead us instead of your spirit. I'd like to suggest one final piece of homework for you this week. This is it. I want you to train your spirit to love. Because when you do, you become more yourself. This week, can you train your spirit to love? You say, well, like, how do I do that? Like, how do I train my spirit to love something else? Well, like a simple way is, you guys, most of you have a phone uh, or some sort of alarm system. You can take your phone even today, this afternoon, and set an alarm. Set an alarm for like every hour during your waking hours. This is crazy. This is a little extreme for some of you, but set an alarm every hour. And when that alarm goes off in your pocket, it's just going to readjust yourself a little bit to be like, oh, in the middle of whatever you're doing, is there someone that I could love right now? Is there an opportunity to love someone? You might be having a conversation with someone right at that moment, and all of a sudden it buzzes in your pocket, and then all of a sudden it shifts the way you're thinking. How does this person need to be loved? How can Jesus love this person through me right now? How can I become more present? Maybe there's a word that I need to give them. Maybe there's this comfort that the Spirit is actually trying to use me to care for someone else. Or maybe it's, oh man, I actually need to send an email or this person popped up in my mind instead of just thinking like, oh yeah, I was thinking about them just for a second. Or you might even connect it to, uh, I was praying about them just for a second to actually then popping them a text or an email and saying, man, you were just on my mind. Just wanted to say I love you. I'm here for you. I don't know what's going on. And you know, sometimes one of the cool things that happens, oh my gosh, you have no idea how much I just needed that right then and there. And that's training yourself to allow the spirit to work in and through you, that this new shoot can come from this stump, this brokenness, this thing that feels cut down and uprooted, but we can actually self-actualize and train ourselves to live in the spirit and to let the spirit live through us, to be agents of love, to be image bearers of love. So this week, train yourself to love. That's like a little easy way that you could do it. That's a a practical and tactical way in which you can do that. But if you allow God to do new things in you, he will. And so I think in this moment, this is a good opportunity to respond to God about who he is, about what he's doing, and how much we care about that. So I want to invite you all to stand or wherever you're at with us online. If you want to just take a moment, quiet yourself right now and respond and worship.